So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I'm pretty positive that's what it is. Uh, am I on the right podcast, David? I'm doing a lot of podcasts lately. Uh, you are on a lot of podcasts, and I, you are on the right one today. So uh, yeah, you're, you're on the right bus, and uh, everything's going in the right direction so far. So uh, Gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how are you doing up there? I, I'm down here in Florida and enjoying the balmy uh, coastal breezes, and I think I missed a snowstorm. Well, you missed some snow. I don't know if a... I, up it doesn't here, qualify as a storm. It doesn't qualify might... as a storm, but there was a dusting, uh, which in okay. Nashville, you know, I mean, it is okay. a little bit of a storm. Uh, it was enough to, you know, keep drive people to the milk aisle and the <laughs> bread aisle and the beer aisle. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, an opportunity to stock up. That's how we defined a blizzard in Nashville is, you know, whether <laughs> whether we sold out of those things, toilet paper or something. We are uh, recording this uh, episode the day after Valentine's Day in the yes. year 2024. That yeah. was a big day for us, a big day for Allie and me. That was our 45th, 46th Valentine's Day together, I guess. Um, wow. And uh, we, had a, we had a nice time. I also did a podcast yesterday with Dr. Sherry Keffer on the uh, Pirate Monk podcast. I don't know whether you know this, David, but yesterday was the 20-year anniversary of the first meeting of the Samson Society. Oh, wow. In the women's parlor at Christ Community Church. And unless my <laughs> memory is faulty, you were there. I was there. Golly, yeah. Moses. 20 years ago. Yeah. Can you believe in a blink of an eye, 20 years is gone? I know. Uh, yeah. But a, a, a lot has happened since then. There's a few thousand men that are grateful that we got together on that day. Oh, what a, what a night. I mean, that, that was the beginning, you know, you have these little landmarks in your life. I will say this, that you, um, you recognize something significant has happened that is probably Mm going to have some momentum, but you don't exactly in the moment know what it is, Yeah, Uh, but you know that something shifted, something has the potential of being, um, of being bigger than what you just saw yes. you know yeah yeah uh, and uh, that's what i remember experiencing that night wow. I, I mean yeah. i do I, I that and how funny it was to be in the women's parlor at christ community church with the, <laughs> the china and the doilies and the hutches and the you know the duncan fife sofas and all that stuff and all the swearing and just 
bitching and spitting going on. <laughs> it was the one and only time we met in that parlor. It was. It was just. It was. It, it just didn't work. By the by, the next week we we were just sitting in a yeah. plain old room in a circle of fold, folding chairs like we should. Yeah. yeah, aesthetics matter. You know, they they really do. And I'm I'm not sure that the the women's uh, ministry didn't go in and burn some sage or something after all that was. <laughs> was oh my. Well, but yeah, just, what a what a great what a great memory. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and, you know, it, so much has happened in the field of recovery in the last 20 years oh, and man. our understanding, our growing understanding of addiction and yeah. uh, the number of people who have come into the field, the experimental treatments, uh, the exploration that's happened, the unexpected answers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some blind alleys and then just some amazing new uh, insights that have taken us in new directions. A lot's right. happened in the last 20 years. And would you have thought, David, 20 years ago, as you said, you were a music minister at the time? <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Would with you the, have thought that you would be doing what you're doing today? Well, no, because that would have required honesty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah. required some degree of transparency that would mean that I might actually change my behavior. Yeah, I remember sitting there thinking, um, oh, shit, you know, um, <laughs> I, I might have Not to, saying, oh, shit, thinking, yeah, but, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I, I mean, 20 years ago, I would not have thought I would be sitting where I am doing what I'm doing. I mean, at mm-hmm. all, at all. Yeah. And um, it took me, you know, it took me a year of those meetings to tell the truth about what I was doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> watching enough people cannonball into the deep end of the pool, I eventually, I think, felt like I was might, I might be missing something, but yeah, yeah. yeah. but but it has changed. And then, and then as I have even been in this, in this field for uh, eight years uh, mm-hmm. in practice now, um, that's just watching, yeah, and just watching more and more and more uh, integrated ideology enter the, the, field of recovery, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. some of it, it, you know, we are real comfortable with, and some of it we wonder and scratch our heads and, yeah. you know, have to just be curious observers and, uh, yeah. you know, you know what I have, uh, cultivated an appreciation for the iconoclasts, mm-hmm. the crazy people who just ask the crazy questions and take huge risks to say, what the hell, let's see if this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we have, as a guest this week, somebody who fits that mold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, it's a great, great conversation. Yep. Uh, Dr. Rob Kelly, uh, he's nobody else's man. He's his man doing his thing, his way, and uh, it's uh, it's really quite something to listen to this man talk. Yeah. So let's get to it. We'll be right back with Dr. Rob Kelly in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Our guest this week, uh, you may actually have seen him 
in one of his many television appearances. You might see him on social media. If you can't see him today, I'm disappointed for you uh, because uh, this is probably our most dapper guest ever. Uh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Dr. Rob Kelly is joining us from uh, San Antonio, Texas, as I'm sure you can tell from his accent. Welcome, Dr. Dr. Rob. Thank you so much, guys. Great to be here. Hey, guys listening. Uh, great to be here. Stay, stay tuned. This is going to be a good one. Ah, <laughs> it's already positive. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Rob, how in the world did you wind up on the recovery train? Well, I'm an alcoholic and addict, a staunch alcoholic that lost everything. Started drinking at the age of nine. Uh, Homeless by 26, 27. <clears throat> Lost my children, housewife, car, kids, the way we always do. If you're a real alcoholic, uh, unless you seek treatment, which I did, you know, many times, but it didn't work for me. Um, and so when I was homeless for over a year, I, I'd, I'd made this promise to myself that if I ever got off the street, because <clears throat> nobody understood alcoholism, mm-hmm. just go to the AA or go to the head or go to the doctor. It's like nobody had an answer. And that intrigued me. It's like, why, why is this illness, which was classed a disease many years ago by the World Health Organization back in the 90s, why, why does nobody have a knowledge of it? So I, I decided right there and then that I was going to spend the rest of my lives with um, addicts, alcoholics, food, sex, whatever it is, and their families, because what we found going on the journey is, is let's say, uh, husband and wife, husbands is the alcoholic. Unless the wife comes on and joins us like two days a week, uh, we, we don't take the, the people on because we, we found that when the wife comes on, uh, the success rate of the alcoholic goes up by 42%. Hence why we have a 97% success rate, which is unheard of in the industry, around about 3 to 5%, but what's more unheard of is we're the only company in the world that if you continue our program after you finish with us and relapse, we will refund every dime that you've put into my office. Wow. In this trial, yeah, it was just my family was devastated, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think the treatment industry would go bankrupt if everybody adopted that policy. <laughs> Correct. Well, with the, with the current system, obviously, treatment centers, the, the model is broken. It has been done for 10, 20 years. When you're seeing little Johnny go back to a treatment center two, three, four times, still paying the same price, then there's something wrong. Okay, mm-hmm. there's something you can fully recover from the, from this disease, and it is a disease because of the hypothalamus, which we'll get into later. But yeah, I'm just uh, over eight thousand patients over thirty years in the industry, very adamant, very passionate, even today uh, as I was when I first got in the industry, because there is a solution and there is a happy life and successful life when we rewire the brain and neural pathways uh, for the rest of your life. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. can. There's so much to do after recovery. It's unbelievable. Mm. 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 Uh, Dr. Rob, how do you measure that 97% success rate? How, how, do, you, um, how do you measure that with the, the, you know, the current model? Nobody wants to talk about success rates or how to measure them or whatever. How does that work for your program? Well, we start off by giving them a 10 to 15 minute free of charge uh, session with me for the rest of their lives, which most people do for about a month and fall off. But I have staff that call everybody up that we dealt with, uh, unless we can't get in touch with them, obviously, which is a bunch of them we can't, but we call them up uh, six, six, between six and 12 months. So we'll call them at six, call them at 12 every year. So we can monitor that. And, and, and what we say to people is, hey, we have this that we monitor to go forward. They think, oh, Dr. Robbie's amazing. He's given us 15 minutes of his time. You know, I have a one or two month free of charge. No, we have to measure that. 
you know? So if we don't measure it, how can we stand there and go, hey, our program's so successful if we're not measuring that because it's false information. So everything we talk about today is tried, has been tested, has been researched in laboratories, has been tested with, with me and other doctors and psychologists to make sure that what we're saying is the absolute truth and we have records to prove that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Now, from what I gather, you do not run the standard 28-day program. Is that correct? No, I, I, well, it, it, the reason why the 28- or 30-day program came about is because somebody measured that the chemicals in the brain used to take about 30 days to all rebalance themselves, which is true. We, we found out with our tests and trials and research. Uh, ours is 90 days, and it's one hour every single mm -hmm. day. Telehealth. Unless you live near, obviously, you can come in. Uh, so it's, it's 90 days, uh, once every three weeks, I will come out to visit you because I want to see the behavioral side. But yeah, it's that repetition, strength and confirm. So if you go and see a therapist or a doctor once a week, with us re-diverting your pathways away from self-sabotaging your pathways, it has to be done daily because certain parts of the brain reset every 24 hours. That's not an AA thing, by the way. Uh -huh. It goes way before that. Um, so that's why once the 90 days set in, it's become ingrained into the brain and the neural pathways that this is a decision now because when alcohol and drugs arrive, you don't have a decision. Once again, hypothalamus, we'll get into that later. So now we have a decision. And once you start achieving, once you get your family back, you start seeing what life's about. Um, <clears throat> there's literally, unless you get it one day and go, you know something, I'm, I'm done with this. It's almost impossible uh, to relapse is what mm -hmm. we say and improve Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've teased a little bit the topic of the hypothalamus and the role it plays in the uh, development and survival of addiction. Can you flesh that out for us? Sure. Let's talk about the three parts of the brain. The hypothalamus, the basal ganglia, and the amygdala. The basal ganglia, the alcoholic. Alcoholics are born. Drug addicts are made. Okay. One has a predisposition and an allergy to the ethanol and alcohol. <clears throat> But the basal ganglia is our repetition strength and confirms. Like a pilot needs 10,000 hours in the air before he can fly a commercial jet. Mm -hmm. Imagine the basal ganglia being like a clock, the more we do it, just like taking driving lessons. And then, you know, a few months later, at first it was really hard, but a few months later, you know, we can do it without even thinking about it. So <clears throat> we need to repair the, the alcoholic and to some extent the drug addict has a default. So again, imagine a phase clock, 10 after I come out of treatment, 20 after I get the wife back, kids back, 20 till get a job offer at 10 till, and bang, we self-sabotage. This is why nobody can give us uh, a reason why they relapse. They, they give you a thousand excuses, but they can't give you a reason. That is because of that. So the hypothalamus is real interesting. It's kind of a survival part of our brain as a few other jobs, but it tells us from birth that we need to eat food and drink water to survive. You see babies holding the tummy and crying or putting a hand down the mouth. It means they need food. And he does a great job of that with alcoholics and addicts, especially, I'll just say alcoholics, but I mean everything else, guys. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, what happens with the hypothalamus in alcoholics is at a certain point of the drinking career, the hypothalamus turns around and tells the alcoholic to drink alcohol only. Uh -huh. That's why we can go days or weeks without food or water uh -huh. because we're getting the message to the prefrontal cortex, our decision maker, to drink alcohol so when we get to that point with alcohol not drugs and alcohol this time uh, sorry drugs and other addictions is <clears throat> it's our primary purpose that's what our brain is telling us so every time the prefrontal cortex screams out for an answer 
And the prefrontal cortex is our decision maker. So when we come to a decision, it screams out to the brain, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. The hypothalamus gives us an answer within milliseconds, but uh -huh. it doesn't have to be the right answer. That's the only problem with the hypothalamus. So what is put in the brain will come out of the brain. So then obviously we continue. And of course, the, the amygdala is like our smoke alarm, but it also carries our trauma. Childhood trauma is the gateway drug. So when them three things are rewired and recircuited, that's when it's almost impossible to go back to the relapse. And, and if you don't do that, if you don't clear your childhood trauma out, if you don't have some kind of spiritual awakening or Uncle Jimmy, God, universe, which when them two are present, by the way, our DNA changes, unless you have all them three in, in, uh, in progress, then you're always going to relapse if you're the real alcoholic. Yeah, there's no way around it. You know, do them three things, get a great routine. I'm going to give you three things, guys, at the end before we finish to do every day that'll change your life from tomorrow morning. Everything is a pattern. So, guys, you've been out with the guys and go and see a band or whatever. You'll get on the bus, you go out, you enjoy yourself. When you get back on the bus, which seat do you sit in? You sit in the same one you went. Mm -hmm. Everything's a pattern. And if our, if our dysfunctional pattern as a child is made by our parents or caregivers, that's the pattern, not good enough, never bland enough, tall enough, thin enough, or rich enough, then that's carried into our later life. And the actions here, you cannot put with the actions here, but that's our speciality. Uh -huh. And is the rewiring, Dr. Rob, um, just, um, well, explain to me what you what you mean by the rewiring of, of the hypothalamus <laughs> and uh, the amygdala and all of the trauma. So most of it, the, the basal ganglia is, our, is our, what we're going to do, what we're going to do, what we're going to do. So that affects our decision maker, the hypothalamus and the amygdala with the trauma that goes to the prefrontal. So uh, using somatic experience, neuro-linguistic programming, uh, brain spotting, psychology, past experience, we can repetition strength and confirms the brain to take different neural pathways. So an alcoholic that comes to us probably, and we've never measured this because there are billions in the head, 80 to 85% of neural pathways want to self-sabotage. 15% uh -huh. want to make the right decision. So that's where all these programs and all these tools we use, as well as behavioral, behavioral science is my second PhD. Uh, the behavior itself is very important. So as we go through these methods daily, every single day, it becomes a working part of the mind. Because what you have to remember is the behavioral science part of it. Like 1%, alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism. And the same with every other addiction. It's only the symptom. It's not the problem. Uh -huh. So we have to make sure everything lines up. Then the behavioral science part lines up. Because if I relapse on a Friday or pick a drink up on the Friday, the relapse has been on the Monday before. So we look at our behavior and once behavior traits. For instance, we had a, a model that used to come in to see us, pretty girl, went out every day with my sober coach, had salad and... and water and one day she said uh, let's go to mcdonald's that's the red flag that's the change of behavior that says to the brain and the body i don't really care let's go and do this that's where the relapse starts and it starts with change of behavior change of mood blaming somebody be irritable all that stuff or we at least at least three days if not a week before the actual uh, picking up the drink or drug or food or sex or porn so we have to change the behavior we spot it when we spot that behavior change, that's when we go in and, and, and start even more work on changing the self-sabotage behavior.
Oh, this, my sound has gone off. Do we know anything about that? Your side? Uh, hey, Nate, uh, we can't hear you. Oh, ah, there we go. There um, you are. Oh, thanks. Uh, say, Dr. Rob, it intrigues me that uh, you have included almost as an aside in the same breath with alcohol and drugs, uh, porn and sex. I mm-hmm. love that, uh, that you've mentioned it because I'm a recovering uh, porn and sex addict. Uh, and I am also now watching with increasing concern uh, the trend toward uh, legalized gambling in the country and its effect on the general population, especially those of us who are prone to addiction. Is there a difference, a substantive difference between uh, uh, addiction to substances and what are sometimes called process addictions? Uh, I don't think so. Now, tech alcoholism is a different thing altogether. Alcoholism and drug addiction are not the same, though they present the same. So they come with the same thing. They are not the same. But let's look at every other addiction, something that we are addicted to, something that we need to do daily. That can be and sometimes is take somebody off drugs. They're going to go porn. Take somebody off porn. They're going to go to the gym. And it just carries (laughs) on. So what we find is. Addictive personalities which get addicted to anything, as far as we're concerned, even the gym, to a certain extent, are kind of the same pattern. It follows the same pattern, okay, because we still get that fix. We're still running after that fix. And the first time we saw porn or had sex or that crazy yeah. sex, we're chasing that all the time. So we'll return. So the way we, the way we emphasize this um, was, um, and it's been done time and time, I think, but we'll get 10 mice and we put in individual cases, cages. And then what happens is we put one feed of water, pure water, one feed with cocaine and water. And after a couple of uh, attempts at both, every mouse went down to the, the cocaine and water. So what we did then is we took them in a different cage all together. And after a few attempts, all the mice went for the pure water and not the cocaine. So mm-hmm. when we introduce ourselves to porn, cake, food, sex. That becomes the, the kind of cocaine and water that we return to every time. Once we do that several times, it becomes a pattern, an mm-hmm. automatic pattern. So is it okay to say to a sex addict, okay, just, just don't watch porn? Da, da, da. No, it's not, because it becomes immediate reaction. Like, it's not controllable. Like any addiction to a certain again, it's not controllable. So what is the primary source? What is the primary uh, thought pattern behind that addiction? And mm-hmm. it will go back to childhood trauma or some, some kind of dysfunction that we think's okay. So yeah. whether you're walking with your mom and dad and having sex or something, then 20, 30 years later, you, you're addicted to porn every single day, you've got to watch it. Does that relate? You bet your sweet ass it relates. You know, mm-hmm. people are afraid of saying this. It's like, we've done our research. We don't care what anybody else thinks. We're tried and tested. This is how it is. And some mm-hmm. people call me arrogant, but it's been tried and tested. You can't, you can't say, oh, unfortunately, he suffers from drug addiction. He's a drug addict. God bless him. This guy over here just watches sex every day and porn every day. What, what the hell is he? No, you can't do that because it, it becomes a non-choice for us. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you see trauma, Dr. Rob, is across the board, though, in all these different paths of addiction, alcohol, drugs, and process addiction. Do you see, am I hearing you say you see trauma at the root of all of those pretty much? Yes. Everybody has trauma, by the way, guys. Sure. It's defining what that trauma is. So it doesn't have to be a car crash or a divorce. It can be as simple as, Robert, how many times have I told you you can't go to college like your brother because you're so stupid? Mm-hmm. Even jokingly, I'm going to take that in and run with that. However, mm-hmm. alcoholics and addicts, and, and every single addict, by the way, uh, are more sensitive 
So we hate, and here's the killer, guys. Guys at home, just sit down. It's going to drop you a jaw, this one. So in fact, I might save it till later on. But alcoholics and addicts hear things different, mm. okay, mm-hmm. from birth. So how do I know this? Well, we've done tests, but me and my brother on the kitchen table when we were about, I don't know, nine or ten, we're stood on the kitchen table playing swords or something. I can't remember what we're doing. And my mum walks in, and she says to us, get down off that table, stupid idiot. Get down before your dad gets home. My brother jumps down, but I freeze. Hmm, why do I freeze? And this will resonate with everybody listening, because what I've heard, get out of that table, you stupid idiot, is what I've heard. Because the childhood trauma that I went through perceives that everything comes from them in a situation is bad and horrible. And we go through this with 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 into adult life, guys, with any kind of trauma is, hey, Jimmy, boss wants to see you in the office. What's the first thing we think about? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, hey, listen, I did that good job. Or he might, no, we, oh, God, what have I done now? Uh-huh. That comes from the childhood trauma, guys. It's not just something that we say. It's like what we hear is, hey, Jimmy, boss wants to see you. Uh-huh. What we hear is, Jimmy, the boss wants to see you because you've done something wrong in that tone of voice because it's childhood uh-huh. trauma. So yes, 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 and yes, David. Oh, I can remember during my years of active addiction when my wife would call my name ah. from another room. I would just feel this bolt of fear just run through me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, like, here we come from our caregivers. doesn't necessarily have to be our parents. It could be our gym's teacher. It could be a scout teacher. It doesn't make any difference. Which, by the way, no parents are to blame here. Okay? Mm-hmm. No one's pointing fingers at, you know, they did the best thing. No one's pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. Because that's learned behavior from their parents. Mm-hmm. Sure. Learn behavior on a national because moms can pass down depression to the yeah. kid. No problem. It's been proven, tried and tested, not by me, uh, by other people or the scientists. So we we inherit that. You yeah. Know? It's like a girl that grows up, a young girl, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, grows up in a house that's dysfunctional where dad's an alcoholic. And what happens is most nights he comes home drunk. Uh, he gets into a fist fight with mom. After a certain amount of time, that becomes learned behavior. And when the, the, the girl learns a couple of things straight away, is listen for the lock, the key in the lock. If it goes in straight away, it's safe. If it jiggles around the lock, that's it's going to be run for safety. Uh-huh. But what happens with that with that learned behavior from the parents is when that girl leaves the house in the teens or early 20, goes to college, for instance, she will attract the same guy that ends up, you know, substance abuse and ends up beating her. And she will stay in that relationship way too long because it's learned behavior to the certain extent that if she was to meet a nice guy that treated her well and loved her, she would self-sabotage that relationship in so many ways because it doesn't feel comfortable. Mm. Well, that's so interesting too, because Dr. Rob, I, as I grew up, my sister, who's four years younger than myself, and she doesn't display uh, really any addictive patterns that I'm aware of. Um, we have, if we recount our childhoods, we have very different narratives, <laughs> uh, as opposed to mine who, you know, my alcohol, uh, abuse and, uh, addiction just escalated to the point that at, you know, 45, I had had my quota, uh, for life. But, um, but the reality was we have different stories and, my perception, it's not that I don't think she's right. I used to think, well, you're just in freaking denial. You know, you never, whatever, you never process this. You've not been to therapy like 
you know, the enlightened brother uh, that you have like me. Um, but the point is, I, I have grown to believe now that that sensitive personality did experience things differently. I, I experienced home differently. I experienced uh, my religious background in differently. I was, I was afraid since I was nine years old. Um, and I wasn't in a home where parents didn't love me or where we threw plates or where, you know, those things happened. But I experienced a completely different narrative. And so um, this, I, I guess I'm processing this out loud, but it, it feels to me like that explains why siblings can come in and go, I don't know what he's talking about. We didn't have, you know, we had a great uh, experience or we, you know, we didn't mm -hmm. ever experience this or that because they, they didn't. Yeah, I mean, Fanny's an alcoholic much more than any, or addicts as much more as any any other person. But yeah, I, I wrote a book, <clears throat> um, and uh, I, I sent it to my. I'm not spoke to my sister for like 20 years. I was strange from all the family for so many times, even after I got sober. So six years ago, my my uh, my sister got in touch with me after 25 years, and I sent her the book, and she's like, "What? Why did you write this about mom and dad? Or why? What? what you didn't have that." Like a priest took me away for a supposedly auditioning with the Vienna Boys Choir, which is a very esteemed choir. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was why he took me about seven miles outside the city and not to London and uh, got me drunk and molested me. Uh, mm -hmm. But no one, oh, that guy was amazing. Or mom never said that to you. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what set me off. He's like, oh my God, there, there's something again deeper because we're finding out every day that, oh my goodness, we've. Well, if we do that, we can try this and we try that. You know, we do so many experiments with just thought patterns of, like, I didn't know he, he got me drunk, but when it was when we went through the scenario with my with my uh, uh, psychologist, uh, that's exactly what he did. And when mom said this to me, my sister didn't react because alcoholism and addiction skips generations. It might be one, it might be two. Uh, I had the gene, my, my brother and sister didn't. So, yeah, them two can relate sometimes about... Oh yeah, remember this, remember that. And and I put a dark shadow. Is that oh, I don't remember that. I remember dad doing this. I remember dad hitting me that time. Because that's a that's something that alcoholics and addicts have is they have a kind of memory for bad things are not good. Mm. Like you can say, give me a childhood memory to my sister. Oh, when I went to seaside, it was so good. Yeah, mm -hmm. Rob, give me a, I remember when my mom smacked me with a skull, a wooden shoe across the backside. She's like, What about the holiday? Oh yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that. But I concentrate on the things that were bad so I can then learn that self-sabotage behavior, you know, how much I try in life or how far I get. Mom's always going to hit me with that wooden shoe. Mm -hmm. And that's where my mm -hmm. behavior comes from. I never, you know, if my dad was, you know, a gas fitter, then I'm supposed to be a gas fitter and have two children and go to the pub once a week. You know, you've got to take it higher than, than where you were born. If you want to be successful, you know, if you want to be successful, whatever that looks like for you, better children, better. Uh, but yeah, you, you've you got to break that completely. But yeah, we definitely hear things different, you know, mm -hmm. more so than alcoholics and, and drug addicts or and, like I said, any of the addiction. Because mm -hmm. when I say that to people, they go, oh my God, oh my God, that's so true. We've got our research, you know, guys, this is the mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. But nobody's talking about it. And I'll tell you what nobody's talking about, it, guys. There's no money in recovery. Okay. Sell <laughs> <laughs> you a pharmaceutical drug, not even going into them guys, or stick you in a treatment center for 30, 60, 90 days. Nobody wants to know. And we was we was aghast with this. 
aghast with it. He's like, nobody wants to touch it. Well, where's the money in recovery? Helping people? No. What's the first thing you do when you know, oh, I feel depressed? What should I do? Go to the doctor. Okay, they'll give you some medication that will make you feel better, make you feel happy. So I go to the doctor, doctor, I'm depressed. It's like, okay, well, you know, take this medication, it's this SSRI, and what it does is replaces the serotonin, and you'll feel better, which you do. What they don't tell you, first of all, you're hooked on it now, you can't not stop it, otherwise you go depressed. Secondly, our own serotonin doesn't rise any, because now we have a substitute, okay? Right. Our state capped. And thirdly, why isn't anybody asking the question, uh, why are we depressed? Uh, what about serotonin? Are you getting enough serotonin? You know, uh, why am I depressed? Okay. Not here's a pill, take it and rely on this. And the, and the medical fraternity, which I speak, I, uh, you know, talk to doctors and do conferences with doctors, teaching them about, you know, this subject. Uh, and there's a lot of doctors breaking away from that now. I mean, tell me one medication that's worked for you and you can stop taking. There mm -hmm. isn't one. There isn't one, apart from, you know, the over-the-counter stuff and stuff like that. It's all down to our diet, what we eat, how we treat ourselves, you know, because serotonin and dopamine are the only, two of the four chemicals, serotonin and dopamine are the only two good field chemicals that are, that are created in the gut. So if you're not eating right, you know, you're not going to be happy. I mean, first of all, you're going to start putting weight on, you're going to be a little bit miserable. It all adds up. Serotonin, uh, oxytocin, uh, endorphins, uh, and uh, dopamine. If we don't have all them four chemicals going, then we're in trouble. Why is my serotonin low in the first place? Nobody's asking that question, and they should. Uh, this is news to me that serotonin is created in the gut. I always thought it was secreted in the brain. Right. I know. So we look at the endorphins and we look at the uh, oxytocin. Uh, they're both created in the brain. But, you know, how do them chemicals... Um, First of all, oxygen, the, the oxygen is the best thing we can do. I cannot emphasize that the presence of oxygen is the lack of disease. Uh, but we don't create, we don't only breathe 25% of our lung capacity. So if you're eating right and getting the blood around first thing in the morning, we do 20 exaggerated breaths in and out. Uh, that will set the chemicals going. But yeah, two in the gut, two in the head, you know, the created. So we can't eat a lot of crap every day. We can't eat at McDonald's every day and expend, uh, expect to be at 100%. Most people today are walking around between 40 and 55% of their capability and capacity. Mm. Because mm. of their behavior and their routine, their eating habits, their lack of sunlight, lack of oxygen. It's as simple as that. Once you get them going, you'll see a boost. Gary Brecker talks about this all the time. Uh -huh. you know, me and Gary share patients. Uh, and it's just, it's so true, you know? Do you have to get them off of the antidepressant um... Dr. Rob, before they experience the difference in um, in producing their own serotonin from the gut, in other words, changing their eating habits and all of that, if they're still taking the antidepressant, is that going to flat, flatten out um, their affect or their their serotonin? I mean, you know what I'm asking? It's Yeah, I think once you get on, on the medication, it's, uh, you know, you kind of rely on that. So when mm -hmm. you come off straight into a dip so you get back on the medication so it is hard we would tell nobody to come off their medication that the md medical doctor has prescribed but you know the easiest way is is, is to talk to your doctor but what we found what we found is when when our patients came off it uh, after a few weeks if not a couple of months 
and their serotonin levels go up by by the program they follow, which is part of them four chemicals every day. I think once you start to rely on an outside source to make me happy or affect my mood, you need to go further. Mm-hmm. You know, the medical attorney do not have all the answers. Just because your doctor says you have to take this or do this does not make it true. Mm-hmm. You go to the doctor now, 10 people, goes to 10 doctors, different doctors. They'll give you the pharmaceutical drug. That's the buzzword at the moment. Oh, sorry, let me put that a different, that they're getting paid for. <clears throat> uh, oh, sorry, let me make that different. <laughs> if for, you know, mm-hmm. how do we take uh, Adderall? Uh, why, why is Adderall so, so amazing? Because of the reps, because of the reps that went out there and absolutely just went out as a team. And uh, if you've got ADHD, guys, and I, 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 I half believe it, half don't, because my ADHD was a slap across the head saying concentrate didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Now everything changed. It's like, why is ADHD uh, so popular? It's amphetamine salts. You mm-hmm. put your kid on nine years old with amphetamine salts, and there's a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, it's madness. And a great correlation between kids that are medicated and the uh, abuse rates of all kinds of chemicals um, in adult life. Is that right? 90% of patients that come to us with a staunch heroin addiction or other opioid addictions started in the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Then the answer Wow. Are, yeah. Yeah. Of my that, that is sobering. Mm. There must must be a reason, though, now, I mean, that explains a lot about why there's such a shortage on um, stimulants, Adderall, Vyvanse, and all of that. I mean, I've got clients who can't get the medication right now because all the pharmacies are out um, and their refills are late incoming and things like that. And so uh, but what I hear in the in the people I see is that if you know pretty much the script to say when you walk in for the appointment, you can leave with an Adderall prescription pretty easily. I mean, I it's not... Tried it myself. Mm-hmm. Went to five doctors. Went to work in a medical doctor we can work with. I walked into five uh, psychiatrists. Uh, one of them didn't even look look at me. He had his head buried. And I said, uh, I can't concentrate. And he's like, writing a prescription. And he hands it over. Didn't even look at me. I was in there for about 15 seconds. Good Lord. Wow. How crazy it is. Yeah, you just, you know, you, over here, you, you can kind of ask what you want when you want. But we went to one doctor... And I said, yeah, the same script. He went, yeah, it's not going to happen here. We, we don't we don't refer to or prescribe Adderall. So you need to go to somebody else. And I went, no, me and you need to talk because mm. this is the best you ever. We want to work with a medical doctor that believes in what we believe in. Mm-hmm. That it's not necessary. It really isn't necessary. And I'm not giving medical advice out, but geez, you know, come on, guys. It doesn't take a rocket science to realize that when you give kids and amphetamine when they're 9, 10, 11, 12, that they're not going to carry on and take that even more, more, more. And then they get cut off from the doctor or mom and dad realize what a bad drug it is. Um, and then they go out to the street. I, I did a I did a face-to-face interview with me and Purdue's uh, attorney and one of Purdue's uh, senior managers. And unfortunately for them, and they had been warned, it was live going across the nation. You can find it on, on Google, guys. Uh, and I, I told them exactly what was what, and he was not prepared for me. It just so happens with an, a lot of other things I would imagine, but the very next day they filed for bankruptcy. It's like yeah. somebody needs to stand up and start saying this stuff. Please, guys, I know there's a bunch out there that are joining me, but we've been on this mission for at least 15 years, and I got laughed at. I got my license stripped from me. I got ridiculed in the press. 
And then all of a sudden, it's like you keep doing it, you keep doing it, people start getting well. And then they, the sense of, of all the people are getting well is, oh, my God, this, this is the real answer. It's like, was I worried about backlash from it? Hell yeah, I was. But listen, I'm 62 right now, okay? And I don't give a shit what I say because it's going to be the truth. And if you don't like it, go and see a doctor, go and see your sponsor, whatever you need to do, because this is the real deal over here. You know, we're not, we're not, a, we're not a, a, a cookie makers. We don't sugarcoat anything. Mm-hmm. You're going to get it direct. You're going to get it aggressively. And if I'm not for you, good, go somewhere else. Because I'm sick to death of watching people die in and outside of 12-step meetings, hospital and doctors. I'm sick mm-hmm. to death of it, mm-hmm. you know? And that was me at one point. I was pronounced dead on two occasions. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm just not doing it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Nate. Uh, well, if uh, trauma is the gateway drug, I love the way you put that. Uh, and if trauma is not, uh, if, if uh, the effects of trauma are deep in the brain, what what different modalities do you employ in helping people in treating childhood trauma? Somatic experience is really good, uh, guys. Uh, too much detail to go into, uh, but look it up. Uh, NLP, Neural Linguistic Program, we need to program a different dialogue mm-hmm. inside the brain. Uh, for instance, we really need to take, take care of what, who we surround ourselves by, first of all, uh, and secondly, our internal dialogue. Drop a pen off the floor. This was me. Oh, you idiot. Yeah. Stop saying that, guys. Stop yeah. Saying that. Uh-huh. Right. Somewhere along the line, you've been told you're an idiot. And the more you tell it, the more you believe it internally. Even mm-hmm. externally, worse. You know, so we use that. The brain spotting is, is quite a new technique that we do. Uh-huh. The eyes are part of the brain, as, as most of us know. It's not an eye, optical nerve brain. It's, it's, it's part of the brain. So... There's a method that we use. It's a little bit like EDMR that we can actually go into this. We, we can find out what's in the subconscious brain. Yeah. What you don't even know. Mm-hmm. The, the pupil will flicker slightly, which means, and I, I didn't create this or invent this by no means, uh, create a trauma that we've come across. And whether you have to stay there for a minute, an hour or a day, I'll stay there until that stuff comes out and it always comes out. Mm-hmm. So by, by, And the behavior as well. You know, if you get up in the morning, you go to work the same way, change that. If you can imagine a freeway, so there's, there's 281, <clears throat> a freeway outside San Antonio. I used to go down every single day, monotonous, every single day, every single day. I wouldn't go any other way. But what happens if I went down the side roads, went down the service roads, and, you know, especially if it was an accident, then I've developed a different pattern, thought pattern, to get to the same destination. So things become patterns and mundane. So we're going to go back to that pattern and mundane every single time there was a there was a girl in in manchester a young girl 16 years old back in the late 60s and school girl she was snatched off the side of the road there was a manhunt around for for weeks and months and we couldn't find her so they obviously have to withdrew and there was two people on on the search but funny enough there was a police officer and this was back in the day following another car down the road at a broken back line so he pulled him over and back in the day you, you to prove it was your car because there was no radios, nothing. They say, what's in the trunk of the car? And if you said, well, a yellow jacket, pair of boots, and they opened it, yellow jacket, pair of boots, it's obviously your car. That's how they used to rely on it. So they sent it to this guy and he was a bit unsure when he opened it, they found a, sco- a stolen screwdriver. That's all. Price still on it. And uh, he admitted it was stolen. So now they go back to the house 
and these and surely enough lawnmowers drills everything that he'd stolen over the years uh, and he saw a box in the corner 12 foot wide like four foot high and uh, they said we know you got more stolen stuff in there and he said i don't know nothing about that box so they smashed the lock off and there was the girl that went missing nine months ago and mm. then he would take her out of the box he would abuse her food water shower what restroom put her back in a box for nine months he did that so we opened the box and she's still alive she was a bit bruised and battered so the policewoman leant over she took her hand and helped her step outside the box she took her coat off and she put it around the girl what's the first thing the girl did she got back in the box mm-hmm. that's what wow. we do we, look, we get back in the box you need to smash that box mm-hmm. and set fire to that box and walk away because the behavior pattern is so strong, just like an addiction is or something that we do every day, so strong and ingrained into the brain as the number one neural pathways to take to self-sabotage that you can't stop doing it. Mm-hmm. We have to take away from that and show them a different way of thinking, different way of talking, different way of behavioral science, and then we need to redirect away. So now you have 80, 85% good neural pathways for success uh, and 50% negative. Wow. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, Dr. Robin, your analogy of um, driving home the same way every day. And then when you have to take an alternate route, you know, like uh, road construction, here's the detour. Um, that that alternate route always feels um, I always experience a little fear, a little anxiety, little uncertainty. This doesn't feel right. Um, you know, and, and the same thing when I change a habit. Um, you know, it's always fraught with a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety. I'm not sure this is right. I'm not sure this is going to be okay or going to work. Um, and, and, and you were talking about brain spotting. I've experienced brain spotting. Um, is that something you can do with telehealth? Yes. Now, now I went back to college on, on an online course, um, because a PhD, I could do, do another PhD, which I haven't thought was crazy, but the behavioral science is what I need to do the telehealth. So we have a software that we use. That covers okay. the whole screen, uh, and then we'll suddenly stop it, and you know we see a flicker. So yeah, a hundred percent. You know, there's so many new tools on, on the market now that help or aid. But we we chose them four that we stick by, and it seems, it seems to work for us. But mm-hmm. it's all about the It's like you know, drug addiction and especially alcoholism is they call it a progressive illness. Has anybody asked why? Well, our research tells us this, and you can't see this at home, guys. To bear with me. Let's say we're driving a car or we're learning to drive a car. The first is huge. We can't manage around the corners. It's after a few weeks or months of lessons, now you can reverse out the driveway, wait to your mom, text a girlfriend, listen to music at the same time with no worries at all. It becomes a working basal ganglia. It becomes a working part of the brain. Okay. What, so that, that neural pathway for that specific act, a bunch of them, has already been built. And it's strong and you don't have to think about it. Okay. Let's say I go for England for, for 12 months. Now I've got a right hand wheel on a left hand kind of the road. Mm-hmm. Differently. So the diminishing American way starts to diminish the, the thought patterns of, of uh, you know, driving on the right, left hand wheel. Mm-hmm. So when I come back from uh, England, it takes me a minute. Oh, so I've, oh yeah, yeah. So to, I have to build them your pathways back. It might take me a, a minute, an hour a day to build them pathways yep, sure. back. Sure. So from second nature. With alcoholism, what happens is we build that self-sabotage uh, behavior and, and that enmeshment and, and that passed down hereditary. Uh, so we built a bunch of pathways up for that self-sabotage. But when we go treatment, when we come off the drain, when we go in hospital, the neural pathways don't diminish. So when we come out mm. and we relapse, God forbid, 
we start right back to where we left off. So there's mm -hmm. no, you know, there's no, oh my God, at least I can get a day or a week, we go right back. And that's the reason it's a, well, one of the reasons it's progressive illness. But nobody knows that. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. It's like nobody's researching because there's no money in it, which will beg the question, well, how do you do it? You know, we, we are not about the money, guys. You know, we're really not. Am I wealthy? Yeah, I've been doing it so many times, TV books and all that. But 25% uh, of our work is pro bono, uh -huh. you know? And we have the Rob Kelly Foundation out there that, that, that pays. But, you know, you've got you to take the eye off uh, the money. And if you're doing the right thing, you're getting people well. You know, I'm, st I'm sticking close to God for me uh, and helping, other, helping another human being. Uh, then, you know, the business is going to take off like it has. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, I'm told a lot of the treatment centers in uh, the United States are being bought by investors. Yeah, you know why? Because mm -hmm. they're a good money maker. Because they're an investment in the future. It's good long term, long term yeah. revenue, right? Yeah, return patient, return business. You know, mm -hmm. most of them will, will buy a hundred bed rehab, and within six months, a year, they've got two hundred beds in there. Why? Because they want to help us. I don't think so. Well, Dr. Rob, for those of us, uh, those of the listeners who would like to uh, follow up and get in touch with you and your organization, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way to do is just, you know, spell my name to B's, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com is the website. Jump on there, have some fun. Uh, I, I am not, I'm here to spread information and inspire people. I do not want your business. Don't call up and ask to be a pay. We don't want it. Thank you. We have, I take on four patients every three months. I don't want your business. Uh, the book, if you want to go buy it, great. If you don't and you don't like it, give me a call. I will uh, refund that money. It's not about that. It's nothing about that. However, if you're a parent or a loved one of somebody going through it, you call the number on the website and my staff will talk to you 24 hours a day about it to calm you down, to give you some direction, never cost you a dime. We don't care if you call it 20 times a day. You know, this is about giving back always. So what I want to say is, first of all, three things you need to do every morning, guys. Do the oxygen, 20 breaths in and out, exaggerated breaths. Go into the mirror, stand six feet away, because if you stand close to the mirror, you see all your blemishes and you think that's how people see you, stand six foot away. I love you, I love you, I love you 10 times. Let's flourish that subconscious brain with all the crap in and live from today. Then if you're right-handed, brush your teeth in your right a week, left a week, right a week, left a week. Let's start spreading different side roads, like you were saying, David, you know, service roads. But the most important thing I want to say today, guys, is it's funny. Four years ago, my eldest daughter got in touch with me after 30 years. Um, she's now my lead therapist, and she introduced to my granddaughter. But my youngest child, Abigail, emailed me yesterday, the first time in 29 years. She emailed me mm. started so with that in mind if you're at home and you're going through uh, what we've talked about uh, Nate, David and I today and you think you're in that place of desperation and no return 214-600-0210 is my personal cell phone number text me we'll arrange I will give you 20 minutes phone call that will change your life and you know if it doesn't guys i'm going to send you a hundred dollars for wasting your time because i would rather hear in a few weeks months time of you doing something in your life than next week hearing of your suicide mm. i've always got one foot in the trenches 
while I reach for the sky. I have huge ambitions. I've, I've, I've achieved most of them. But you see that thought? It's never going to come out of that trench, guys. So don't think for a second. Don't research me. Just text me if, if you're suffering because I'm here to help. Wow. So that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rob. That was a fascinating and enlightening conversation. Well, thank you guys for having me. Thank you guys. And uh, guys at home, thank you for listening. It's been a great podcast and we'll see you real soon, guys. Yeah. All right, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And uh, Nate, it occurred to me um, in the uh, in the in the conversation with Dr. Kelly today. Uh, you know, I read in his bio information when uh, his staff approached us about uh, bringing him on, uh, mm-hmm. on the podcast. Uh, they refer to him, or someone does, uh, refer to him as the Gordon Ramsay of recovery. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which I think is very apropos. I mean, he's he. I mean, he loves uh, what he does, and he has a heart for people. And I see that, and I hear that. Uh, yeah. But I also hear that you know he's um, you know like he he gives no shits about what um, somebody's going to get in. I think in the middle of and yeah and yeah, try yeah, to, yeah you know persuade him uh, in a in a different direction. So anyway, I thought yeah, I I sort of pictured him in a cooking show where he was. <laughs> I encourage listeners. Uh, first of all, I, 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 it's a shame that we're not a video podcast. It might've helped for listeners to follow him. The guy talks a mile a minute and mm-hmm. he does also talk with his hands a bit. So you know, we're, we're working a little bit blind here with an audio podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, YouTube, the guy. You got to see what he looks like. So um, he's a flamboyant presence. He was wearing mm-hmm. kind of a fluorescent green tracksuit kind of a thing today mm-hmm. with uh, yellow glasses, kind of spiky white hair. Uh, I caught a glimpse of a what looked like uh, something other than a Timex watch on his wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you know, he comes from a music background as well. Oh, does he? Okay. Yes, he plays Oh, that's on, right, because uh, I've seen him he's yeah. walking around with guitars and doing stuff, yeah. Well, yeah, in his bio, he uh, he played bass at Abbey Road Studio uh, in the day for David Bowie and Elton John and uh, some different people back before his sobriety, uh, I believe. That would explain a lot, because yeah. he still kind of looks like, yeah. He's got, the, he's got the rock star going on. I mean, let's just, let's just say, and it makes it another reason why I wish we were still, we, we had our YouTube back together. Uh, yeah, yeah, now. yeah. But yeah, yeah, that was uh, part of his, part of his story. Okay. Well, uh, you know, he explored a lot of uh, treatments, avenue uh, avenues of treatment that we have talked about and that, uh, we actually put a great deal of stock in. Mm-hmm. Although I had not heard that anybody was doing brain spotting through telehealth. That was mm-hmm. news to me. Mm-hmm. That there's I actually, have, uh, have you heard of that? I have heard that that is possible now. And uh, like you said, it takes a certain software, uh, you uh-huh. know, obviously to do that. And then EMDR, I think, um, as yeah. well. That's what and, I gathered. Yeah, yeah. Holy smokes. It's hard to keep up with all the innovation, David. 
I know, I know. Mm-hmm. One day we won't have to leave our house. We'll just <laughs> click into, <laughs> you know, every form yeah. of every modality there is without uh, having to having to leave the leave the house. Well, man, it's been a fun conversation. Listeners, we'd love to hear your reaction to the show. Positive or negative, feedback, pushback, anything, we just love to hear from you. And you can reach us at Positive Sobriety Podcast at gmail.com. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Uh, our thanks, by the way, to Rex Schnelli, who always puts these things together and makes them sound so great. Mm-hmm. Until next time, then, for Rex, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, Uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 